Good evening, everyone. It's great to see you here tonight. We're glad that you would choose to be with us on Wednesday night for Wednesday night Bible study. We appreciate all of you being here with us on campus tonight. And for those of you that are joining us via live stream and Facebook Live, welcome to you as well. We appreciate you tuning in. I want to give you just a couple of announcements this evening. First of all, we want to remind you that uh, Saturday the 7th, Move the Mission Jambalaya with White Beans be on sale. You can pre-order your dinner at Grand Central and pickup times are from 11 in the morning to 1 o'clock in the afternoon and the cost for that is $8. So if you are interested in that, please uh, go ahead and get those pre-orders in. And also we would like to remind you that Monday the 9th begins 21 days of sacrifice and that will end on August 29th, a time for all of us to put aside some things that um, matter to us a little bit and to seek the Lord maybe in a little bit more prayer, with a little more dedication and consecration, but we'd appreciate those of you that can joining in with all of us on that. We encourage all of you to stay tuned with what's happening at Grace Church, and you can do that via the app or just by clicking on the events tab on our website. Uh, before Brother Dave comes with our Bible study this evening, I do want to remind you that um, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 second, in second Timothy chapter 1 and said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, yes, power and a sound mind. Many translations will say that it is uh, no, no fear, but a spirit of power and of self-control. And uh, this is a good time for all of us to exhibit um, spirit of love and spirit of power and of self-control in all things. Amen. All you need to do is spend a little bit of time on social media and you will see exactly what I'm talking about whenever it comes to the need for self-control. There is unity in the body of Christ. Amen. And I am thankful for that. God bless you this evening as Brother Dave comes. Thank you, Brother Jason. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody feeling tonight on a Wednesday night? It is great to see all of you. Great to be here. And what a service we had on Sunday. Amen. Wow. The ministry of the Word of God through Brother Greg Albritton was tremendous. And, uh, you know, it's amazing to me how it seems like God just knows what we need when we need it. And Sunday was a, just an absolute perfect example of that. I, I just felt God did so many wonderful things. And, and what, I, what I noted most, what I thought was most, I guess in some ways unique, is uh, we had some that came to the front and prayed in the altar service. But really, God ministered all throughout the auditorium. And really, the whole place became an altar, became a, a place of outpouring, a place of refreshing. And I, I thought that was unique to a certain extent and just really marveled at how God just orchestrated that entire, not only the entire service, but the entire altar service. What a great time. What a great time. And I know, I know so much was done there that we'll be hearing about in the coming days and the coming weeks. also want to just give a great shout out to our students today, tonight. Uh, I am so proud of our students. I've told many of them this uh, in, in different settings, Sunday school in different places, but I just want to brag on them before the whole church and on live stream. Uh, they are just doing a tremendous job. They're, they're hungry for the Lord, for a move of God. 
and uh, they're, they're leading in worship, they're leading in praise, they're taking the lead. Uh, I'll give you just one quick example. At, at junior camp, uh, we, were, we were looking for them in the altar service to pray for them, pray with them. We couldn't find them. There were so many kids. And so finally, we just looked up on the screen in the, in the tabernacle. And, and, um, and you know, the, the camera was panning the, audio, or the, the altar and the prayer. And we saw our students. They were right here in front of the, of the pulpit, as close to the platform as you could possibly get in the altars, just praying and crying out to God, just wanting to be as close to the outpouring as they could possibly be. And I've seen that trend now throughout the summer. Um, um, Friday night, we had a tremendous time over in the Alexander Center. We watched the uh, live North American Youth Congress together as a youth group, and, and they just responded like we were sitting in church. It was no different as, as if we had taken them to Indianapolis, and God poured out His Spirit. We had a tremendous altar call. They, they lingered for, for a long time in the Holy Ghost Friday night. So just tremendous, tremendous what God is doing in our students. And I'm asking our parents and our grandparents to just help us continue to encourage them, pray for them, pray with them. Uh, and we're equipping them and we're just going to send them out in the harvest this school year and see what God will do through them. Amen? Amen. God bless you tonight. I want to read a text, uh, one scripture, and then I, I am going to ask us just to pray over the word of God and we'll jump right in. Tonight from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. One text, one scripture. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. Wisdom is the thing. It's the principal thing, the important thing. So get it, obtain it, walk in it, put it in your life. So tonight from that verse, I just want to talk to you about Walking in wisdom. Can we pray tonight over the word of God as we continue? Jesus, we're just so thankful for this opportunity to be in your house, this opportunity to study your word together. I thank you for what you're doing in your church. I thank you for what you're doing in our church. Lord, I believe the kingdom of God is advancing. I believe revival is being poured out. And I believe that we are just, just right there at the, at the next step of seeing you do things that we've only dreamed about, we've only prayed about, but they're about to happen in our church, in our lives. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody say, in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you ready for the word of God? Amen. Amen. We live in an age saturated with information. And you know that. That is not information that you don't know. Outlets such as social media, Google, YouTube, Wikipedia puts anything you need to know right at your fingertips. Our phones have greater access to more information than the average set uh, of, of encyclopedias did many years ago. Somebody recently gave me an entire set of the, of the Funk and Wagnall Encyclopedia from 1956. I've got the whole set. And looking through that, you know what's interesting about it? It has a lot of information. It has information going all the way back to the beginning of civilization. It has information coming all the way through time, and it stops at 1956. And so it's dated. It's, it's not current. It's not relevant in that sense. But through the technology that I just described, we have information at our fingertips. But information and knowledge without wisdom does absolutely nothing for us. Said another way, 
Wisdom is the application of the knowledge of truth when we obtain it. Bertrand Russell was a mathematician and philosopher. He was an atheist, so we don't quote from him, from him very often. But he did say one thing that is applicable here. And he said this quote, Most people would agree that although our age far surpasses all previous ages in knowledge, there has been no correlative increase in wisdom. End quote. In fact, I would say tonight we could make an argument for the opposite viewpoint. Despite all the information at our disposal, people are no wiser in how to use or apply knowledge and information in a productive fashion. The great poet T.S. Eliot asked this question rhetorically many decades ago, but it's very valid in our day. He asked, where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge and where is the knowledge we have lost in information? That's a relevant question. It's a good question. It's a question I would ask of our society today. So in short, technical advances cannot provide... Uh, or, or, I'm sorry, what technical advances cannot provide, what information and knowledge cannot provide for you is wisdom. What all the educators in all the schools and universities in the world can't give you is wisdom. What all the study and all the libraries that globe won't give you is wisdom. But there is a book tonight that contains godly wisdom. There is a book that contains a roadmap for success both in this life and in our spiritual life. There, there is a way that wisdom can be obtained and, and construed from this book and assimilated into our lives. And it is through obedience to this good word of God. Now it has been said that this generation... Our day has no meta-narrative. A meta-narrative is simply an overarching story or truth that organizes and makes sense of all other truths. A meta-narrative is a, a system of beliefs through which, other, through which all other knowledge and information is filtered. And so some say that's part of the problem with this generation is there's no meta-narrative. In other words, there's no truth, there's no absolute, so there's really nothing to judge truth by. Some say that there is no overarching purpose of this generation. But as for the Christian, as for you and I tonight, as for apostolics, this Word of God is our meta-narrative. This Word of God is the filter by which we judge all information by which we judge all truth. It's the filter by which we process decisions. It's the information by which we filter choices that we have to make. So in short, wisdom is found in the Word of God and wisdom is calling out to all of us tonight. It's calling our name. It's asking us to heed the call. The, the prudent then are the, are the wise ones that are listening and can hear and obey her words. So with that introduction, let's talk tonight about wisdom, walking in wisdom. Now, the canon of Scripture has much to say about wisdom, has much to say about the wise, has much to say about those who are not wise. And so much of what the Scripture has to say about wisdom is found 
in the book of Proverbs. And it's very fascinating to me tonight. And this will be on the screen if you're taking notes. I'll ask them to leave it on the screen for a little while to give you a chance to jot it down. But it's really, can I say it this way, it's kind of cool that Proverbs chapter 1, verses 2 through 6, as an introduction to this wisdom book, as an introduction to this wisdom literature, it gives us ten reasons or ten invitations to understand Proverbs or to understand wisdom. In other words, it gives us ten reasons why we should heed the knowledge found in the book. So they're going to put that on the screen. The first reason is for gaining wisdom. We should read Proverbs and we should heed Proverbs to gain, I'm sorry, for gaining understanding. We should gain understanding. Second, it is to understand words of insight. This is all from Proverbs chapter 1 verses 2 through 6. Three, it's for receiving instruction in prudent behavior. Four, it's for doing what is right and just and fair. Five, it's for giving prudence to those who are uncommitted. And we're gonna, that's where we're going to be here for the next few minutes is number five right there. Six, for giving knowledge and discretion to the young. Seven, uh, it it's invites the wise to listen and add to the learning. Eight, it, is, it invites the discerning to get guidance. Nine, for understanding proverbs and parables. And ten, for understanding the sayings and the riddles of the wise. So here at the outset of the book of Proverbs, the, the great wise man Solomon kind of gives a tip of the cap and he, he gives a nod to the Ten Commandments by listing out ten reasons why we should heed the advice found in Proverbs. So the wise person then who would please God with their life should heed the wisdom here for those ten reasons. So, so, what is, so, what is the, um, so, so what is the book of Proverbs getting at? Who is it addressed to? And in one place, in multiple places, we find that, that it is addressed to the wise. It, it says, for instance, that the wise will hear and add to their understanding. That's my paraphrase. There's statements like that. But there's also this interesting concept found from the very outset in Proverbs chapter 1 where, where the book of Proverbs is addressed to what is in the King James Version translated as the simple. It says the simple will listen and get wise. I want to teach you a Hebrew word tonight. It's very easy to say. It's very easy to remember. The Hebrew word is simply petty. P-E-T-I, petty. So you can file that away and you can impress all of your friends that you know a Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word petty. The Hebrew word there is describing someone, I want you to notice this, describing someone who is uncommitted. It's the word that the King James translates as simple. But the root of the Hebrew word petty is the uncommitted. There's no moral value given to the petty. They're, they're not, uh, uh, this person is neither good nor bad at this point. Uh, they're simply undecided. They simply are not committed. They're at a crossroads in their life and they could go either way. That's who the petty would be in Hebrew terms or in the Hebrew word. And so here in the book of Proverbs, the writer sets out to give the, his audience the, the petty, the uncommitted, 
the undecided, an understanding of how the fear of God plays out, how the wisdom of God plays out in our daily decisions, in our daily choices. When we find ourselves at life's crossroads, which tends to happen on a regular basis, how then do we make our decisions? How, do, how does the uncommitted become committed to the godly and constructive point of view and decision that needs to be made? That's really what Proverbs is getting at. That's why he says, my son, heed my sayings. My son, listen to what I'm trying to tell you. Because if you'll listen to me, when you come to that crossroads, you'll make the right decision. Notice also that in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a lady. We have lady wisdom. This was not uncommon in the ancient world. In ancient literature, wisdom was often personified as a lady. Probably what it's getting at is this idea of motherly protectiveness, this, this maternal instinct where a mother wants to protect her children. Wisdom wants to protect those that are hers. And so possibly that's where this idea of lady wisdom comes. But whatever the reason, Proverbs also personifies uh, wisdom as a lady. Notice Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. Wisdom crieth without, she uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the opening of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words, saying, How long ye, there's that word, simple ones, how long you uncommitted will you love simplicity, or how long will you stay uncommitted? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. So Lady Wisdom then is out crying, standing in the public square, doing something that women in the Middle East do not do. Shouting indiscriminately and indiscreetly at anyone who will listen. She acts as any mother might would act who has lost their small child in a public place. And they're desperate to find that child and be re reunited. That's the idea of the kind of urgency that Lady Wisdom has when she's crying out in this marketplace, in this concourse, in this square, the Bible calls it. I thought about, I thought about the story where, where Jesus was lost to Mary and Joseph. Jesus as a boy... And for three days they were without him and Mary, and Mary and Joseph run back to find him. And can you imagine the desperation Mary must have had shouting and crying in the streets, Jesus, Jesus, where is Jesus? And then when she found him, of course she found wisdom. He was confounding the, the scholars, the doctors of the law with his great wisdom. So maybe, maybe there's a tie in there. Maybe my Bible scholars can help me take that thought a little further. But, but wisdom crying like a mother to her child to please find, let me find you. Let me be reunited with you and let me, let me protect you. Please take on my sayings is what she's saying. These would-be children that, that she would gather to herself. These children that she's trying to impart her wisdom and her knowledge to are walking through what John Bunyan called Vanity Fair. Where's, where's Noah? He's my Pilgrim's Progress buddy over there. 
John Bunyan called it Vanity Fair. It's a marketplace of vice where cleverly placed temptation target the weakness of the young. And here is Lady Wisdom in the middle of that Vanity Fair calling out, hoping to compete somehow with all those voices and all those distractions and all those glittering temptations. She's crying out her words of warning above the din of all of those things. To follow the metaphor a little further, the name of the city wherein she stands could be called the city of tomorrow. I want our students to listen very carefully to this point. Lady Wisdom positions herself at the very outset of our days. She positions herself at the beginning of our ways. Before we have committed to a choice, she shouts in our ear. She doesn't wait until after we took that job or until after we started a questionable relationship. She doesn't wait till after we forge a destructive habit. She stands at the gates of the city of tomorrow pleading, us for, pleading with us to hear while tomorrow is still tomorrow. And before tomorrow becomes yesterday and her counsel is of no use. To give more context to our text tonight, Proverbs 4, 6-8. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Again, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. So students, everyone here tonight, but especially our students, before, before you make that choice... Before you engage in that habit or that action that will become a habit. Before you go down a path of a job career or a relationship. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Let wisdom be your guide. And she's also, the, the wise man is also saying that as you obtain things in this life. The, the, the accoutrements of this world. The, the job, the car, the house, the family, the, the things Oh, the success, the degrees, whatever it is, you can obtain all those things, but if you do not obtain wisdom, you have nothing but just an empty list of accomplishments, an unfulfilling lineup of things taking up space in your home or your storage unit. You must pursue wisdom first, he says. Go after wisdom with intentionality. Go after wisdom with all of your strength. Make it the principal thing. Make it your one determination in life. Because if you have wisdom, the Bible says if you walk with the wise, you will grow wise. If you can walk in wisdom, everything else is going to fall into place. So what is wisdom then from a godly perspective? I've mentioned that that wisdom it can be defined as the application of the knowledge of truth. It is certainly that. But what is a biblical working definition of wisdom? Sometimes it can almost seem intangible. It can almost seem like uh, just a concept uh, floating out there in the ether somewhere that sounds good, but it's hard to obtain. But the scripture doesn't leave us blank in this regard. It doesn't leave us they leave us in the dark. In fact, it makes it abundantly clear. The true definition of wisdom begins to unfold as we read through this book and this collection called Proverbs. We come first to Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, 
where the wise man wrote, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. I'll jump now to Proverbs 2, verses 4 through 5. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hid treasure, look at this, you shall understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So what, what this is telling us then is that true wisdom is linked to the fear of the Lord. Wisdom, it says, begins with the fear of the Lord. Understanding begins with the fear of the Lord. So then that should automatically lead us to the next question. What then is the fear of the Lord? What is, what is that? What is that concept? Is it, is it being afraid of God in the sense that he's, he's chasing after us with the proverbial club, just ready, just ready to execute us for any mistake we make? That's certainly not it. That's not the, the sense of the fear of the Lord. Is it reverence and respect for God and for His house, as some have pointed out? I would say yes, that's, that's certainly a part of it. There, there should be a healthy respect and a healthy, healthy reverence for God. But there's one more step we have to take when we consider that wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And it's found in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13 again. The wise man, the fear, he defines the fear of the Lord for us. The fear of the Lord then is to hate evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way. And the froward mouth do I hate. So repeatedly in the word of God, and especially in Proverbs, you will find that God is very adamant about the evil that he hates. There, there are things that are abomination to him, it says. Things like lying lips and a proud look, hands that shed innocent blood. So wisdom is the fear of the Lord, and the fear of the Lord is to hate what God hates. And so then I would take that, and I would present to you tonight the idea, again, especially our students, that a successful life then is found in hating what God hates and loving what God loves. That's, that's the core of what I've come to tell you tonight. Walking in wisdom is loving what God loves and hating what God hates. You ever wonder why it seems like some people have so much trouble making good decisions? Some people just seem like they make one bad decision right after the other and their life just continues to spiral out of control. Oftentimes, most, a lot of times, it's because they haven't separated themselves from the evil that God hates. And they don't love the things and cleave to the things that God loves. Oftentimes we find that people try to cohabitate with the world. They try to do a balancing act where they love God sometimes, mostly when it's convenient. But they want to love the world a lot of the time. And so there, there's no... There, there, there's no proper uh, alignment then with the Word of God. And suddenly one day we, we wake up and we realize that there's been an entire lifetime lived without the wisdom of God, without a value system that filters our choices through the Word of God. And at best we've lived far less than what we could have been. And at worst, we made so many bad decisions that we have ended in heartache and heartbreak. It's very important that we heed the word of God. It's very important that we understand this concept of loving what God loves and hating what God hates. Some time ago, somebody wrote a book called Your Best Life Now, 
And so I, I'm just going to talk to you for a moment about your blessed life now. And I, I thought that was pretty clever. I almost, I almost titled this tonight, Your Blessed Life Now, but I was afraid it might be too clever by half, so I let it go. But I couldn't, I couldn't quite let it go right here. The secret of a blessed life then. So, so to, to, if, we don't, if we don't hate what God hates, if we don't love what God loves, the secret to a blessed life, the key to a productive and fruitful life, is to have the wisdom to consecrate ourselves and to sell out to what God loves and to do the things that are in alignment with His will and to make choices that line up with this word and to insert ourselves into the narrative of His will for our lives. Said another way, to commit ourselves with everything we have to a life that is pleasing to God is a sure way to live a blessed life. David said it this way, the man after God's own heart, he said, blessed is the man or woman who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. In 119 of Psalms he said, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. So we must walk in the law of the Lord if we're going to be blessed. We must walk in the law of the Lord if we're going to be what God wants us to be. That does not mean that everything is always going to go right. doesn't mean that we're never going to have an, an issue or a trouble or a storm or a valley. But I, I was thinking about it today. It, it's kind of like the stock market, if I, could, if I could just, best way I know how to explain it. You may have ups and downs, but over the course of a lifetime when you look back, the trend is going to be up. All right, that, that's kind of how I view this concept tonight. Yeah, the, the valleys and the, and the peaks and the ups and the downs and the storms are going to come. But when you look back over your life at the end, the person that loves God, the person that has committed to good, the, the person that has bought into loving what God loves and hating what God hate, hates is going to see an upward trend over time. Whereas the scoffer and the mocker will see a downward trend and spiral into destruction. So godly wisdom then leads to godly choices, which leads to a godly life, which leads to this amazing promise in Proverbs 22, 4. Humility and fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. So it always ends up in riches and honor and life. And again, it's not a prosperity gospel. I'm not talking about necessarily your bank account, but I'm talking about the riches of the kingdom of God, the riches of a fulfilled life, the riches of, of a job well done, the, the, the riches of a life you can be proud of and a family you can be proud of and a, and a career that you can be proud of and you can look back and say, I contributed this to the kingdom of God. By way of example, let me hurry. Uh, they, they took the clock off the back screen, so that means I have plenty of time. I'm totally oblivious to the clock, not really. Uh, but just very quickly, by way of example, I, I find a great illustration of this, a great demonstration of this in the book of Daniel. Daniel and the three, uh, we call them the three Hebrew boys, the three, the, uh, Daniel and his three friends. Bottom line is this, the king captured them uh, out of their homeland and carried them captive to Babylon, captive to a foreign country, a foreign culture, a foreign religious system, uh, foreign gods, uh, just a whole belief system that was at crossroads with what they knew to be true in the, in the true uh, word of God, the true living God. The king even changed their names, which most scholars believe and I believe indicates that he was trying to change their identity. 
We live in a, we live in a day that's, again, if I could keep referencing our students, that, that is trying so hard to change our identity with labels like postmodern and, and labels, even generational labels like millennial. And we, we try to put them in a box and, 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 and dumb them down and, 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 and say there's no hope. And all these things, it's a, it's a label, it's an identity that the world tries to force upon us. Just like they did to Daniel and his three friends. But this is the beauty of it. Even though they were in a foreign culture, even though they were in a system that did not reverence and cherish the God that they worshipped, even though they lived in a culture that, that tried to get them to do things contrary to the word of God, they refused to bow to that world system. They refused to compromise on their beliefs. They refused to, they refused to change who they were and what God had planted down on the side of them. To, to, to say it this way, they chose to hate what God hated and they chose to love what God loved. And they stayed true to that commitment. And, and this is what happened. I want, I want to just read it to you. Daniel chapter 1, verses 17 through 20. As for these four children, again, Daniel and his three buddies, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And now at the end of the days that the king has said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king communed with them. And among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And look at verse 20. In all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them to be ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. Because of their consecration, because of their commitment, because of their, of their buying into the wisdom and riches of doing it God's way, they were found to be ten times wiser than the rest of their generation. It was not in their knowledge, it was not in their skill, it was not just in the information they had, but it was found in their consecration and their commitment to honor God and His, commit, and His commands. At the crossroads, when the uncommitted found themselves at the place where they were going to become committed, either one way or the other, they, uh, they chose God's paths and made the choice to follow after wisdom. And God promoted them and blessed them into a usefulness in His kingdom that far surpassed anything that anybody else was doing in that day. It's the wisdom of doing it God's way. It's consecrating ourselves by honoring the truths of God's word in our lifestyle, in our choices, and even in our ambitions. Proverbs, again, that's where we've been and I'm almost done, says there is a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We, we can't figure it out on our own. We can't, we can't, we can't, Get there with, with the system that the world offers. We can't get there with, with the, with the self-help and all the terminology and the fads of the day. We can only get there by the Word of God. So if you need wisdom tonight, I've got great news for you. The Bible says, James chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Proverbs 2, 4 through 6, 
If you seek her as silver and searches for her as hid treasures, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom. So tonight, if you listen carefully, if you listen carefully, if you would tune your ear through all of the noise, through all of the distractions, you'll hear the call of wisdom. You'll hear the cry of wisdom in the marketplace. And if you prayerfully pursue her, and if you ask God to grant you wisdom, He will do it. You will find her. And you will live your most blessed life. <clears throat> A concluding illustration tonight. His name is Beck Weathers. And he found himself at a crossroads in life one day in 1996, probably unlike any that you could imagine, and I'm certain unlike any any of us here have experienced. In fact, on that day in 1996, when Beck Weathers opened his eyes, he was lying alone in the snow in howling wind at 26,000 feet on Mount Everest. Before he had made that decision to climb that formidable mountain, Beck Weathers, by his own admission, said his life was spiraling out of control. His marriage, his family, his life were all disintegrating around him. And it was because of choices he had made. He was so driven. He said, I was so driven. He was so tone deaf to what really mattered in life. All he wanted was the next win, the next, the next accomplishment, and he partially found that in mountain climbing. It would be fair to say to this point in time, Beck Weathers had lived his life without very much wisdom. Certainly without godly wisdom. And as he lay there at 26,000 feet in the snow, frostbite setting in, he, he, said, he said, I lay there and thought of my wife and children. And I realized that I was not ready to die. Perhaps more important in that moment at least, he also realized that he had been left behind by his fellow climbers because they thought he had already died. Weathers started the climb, uh, Weathers had started the climb to fulfill a, li a lifelong dream. He was in top shape. The weather was perfect when they started out, but an unexpected blizzard hit them with driving snow, thunder, and winds in excess of 70 miles per hour. And the climbers became disoriented and began experiencing one setback after another. And soon they had major problems to deal with. And so that brings us to this moment where uh, Weathers, with both hands completely frozen, his face destroyed by the cold, suffering from hypothermia. He hadn't eaten in three days. He hadn't had water in two. He, lost, he was almost completely blind. Yet somehow he willed himself to get up and begin moving down that mountain and ultimately he made it to base camp and received medical treatment and he survived. His story is one of the few happy endings on that deadly day on Mount Everest. Eight other climbers perished in that tragedy. Today, Beck Weathers is a practicing doctor and an international speaker and the greatest lesson he learned through his ordeal on Mount Everest is the value of what matters most in life and this is what he says, quote, he says, I searched all over the world for that which would fulfill me. And all along, it was in my own backyard. He said, I lost a few body parts, which is a nuisance. But what I gained was my wife and my kids back. So tonight, you don't have to suffer frostbite. You don't have to 
suffer the amputation of your nose, have a brush with death, or come so close to losing it all like he did to gain that kind of perspective. Tonight, you and I have the opportunity, and especially our young people have the opportunity as you begin your life to, 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 to buy into this book, to buy into the wisdom that it gives us, and to say, I'm going to live by my life by this word of God. Would you stand with me tonight? It's all right here in the book. It's all calling out to us. It's all, it's, it's all calling out to whosoever will. We just have to buy into the wisdom. We have to make the choice to pursue wisdom and live our life after him. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your name. And Lord, any time spent in your presence, any time spent in your word is valued time. It's valuable time. And Lord, I just believe that your word resounded tonight. I believe it found a mark in my heart. And Lord, I just pray that we could take this and live it. It's, it's not so much what we hear tonight, it's what we do with it tomorrow and the next day and the next and the next. And so I just pray that we could implement this in our lives and that we could become wise as we walk with the wise. Wise after godly wisdom. Wise after your own heart. And Lord, that we would become utilized in your kingdom at a level we've only dreamed of in Jesus' name. Would you just clap your hands to the Lord tonight in Jesus' name. God bless you. You're dismissed. We hope to see you in the service Sunday. Be a tremendous service. We'll see you then. God bless you in Jesus' name.